0: So uh, I want to share with you maybe one of my favorite things to do with my kids. I've got a six-year-old and a four-year-old, and like most kids, YouTube is a big part of our life, so we try to find the good things on YouTube to direct their attention toward. And I don't know if you're familiar with this incredible YouTube channel called Dude Perfect. And as a guy who didn't grow up with any athletic ability, I'm mesmerized by the trick shots that Dude Perfect is able to accomplish. So I wanted to just show you a quick 20 seconds to get a glimpse for some of the things that happens on this YouTube channel. So let's check this out together. So that's just a quick look into the world of Dude Perfect, and uh, as a good dad, I try to take my kids out in our cul-de-sac, and we try to accomplish some of these trick shots, and our attempts at it look a lot more like they're blooper reels, and I want to give you a little bit of homework if you want to not just be inspired by some amazing athletic (laughs) achievements, you know. Dude Perfect, get on YouTube and watch some of their bloopers because for every one trick shot that they get right, it takes about five hours of filming worth of bloopers of them getting it wrong. And I think a lot of us can identify more with like blooper reels than highlight reels, right? Especially when it comes to like Christianity or parenting or finances. Sometimes it feels like our life is a series of attempts at trying to get something right and learning how not to do things. And you've probably heard this saying, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. I kind of get discouraged. I'm like, if at first you don't succeed, I'm doing it wrong. What's wrong with me? And my life oftentimes feels like the eight hours of missing the mark instead of that one second in a highlight reel of making the incredible shot. In the past few weeks, Pastor Brian's been leading us through a series where we've been talking about the ways the enemy can cause us to miss the mark. We have a spiritual adversary. There are powers of darkness that don't want us to become more like Christ and try to throw us off course And because of that, there's always going to be the opportunity to make the shot or miss the shot or sometimes make the wrong shot. And if you've ever been there, or if you feel like you're tired of like yielding to the same pattern of temptation and sin, today's message is a message taken from the book of 1 John that kind of identifies the tactics of our spiritual enemy of the powers of darkness. And I think when we pick it apart, it's going to be pretty underwhelming. You're going to see that the playbook of the enemy is is pretty simple. It just gets camouflaged in different ways. But when it boils down to the mistakes that we make, the stumbling blocks in our path, the things that we don't want to do but find ourselves doing anyway sometimes, we're going to realize, man, okay, that's all the enemy's got to throw at me. My hope is that by the end of our time in God's word today, that we'll walk out of here with a little bit more of intelligence of what it means to hopefully make the right shots and and stop missing the mark and, and maybe ending some patterns of sin or some patterns of toxicity in our lives. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to dive into 1 John chapter 2. So Jesus, as we talk about the fact that there is an enemy working hard to get us to be distracted sometimes, to do wrong sometimes, to miss out on opportunities, to do the right things sometimes. Lord, I pray that today, as we dive into your word with these simple few verses, that we could disarm the grip of temptation in our life. We'd be encouraged knowing that we're in a room full of imperfect people. We've all got our unique struggles, Lord, but you want us to become victorious over these struggles. So I pray we take a step in that direction today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the book of 1 John was written by what most historians believe to be the youngest of the apostles. John was the brother of James, one of the apostles that was close in Jesus' inner circle. By the time this book was written, John would probably be in his 80s. This would be a long time after Jesus had already died on the cross, rose again from the grave, and, and commissioned his followers to begin planting churches and sharing the good news, the gospel of Jesus around the world. Christianity would have been kind of an unstoppable movement a few decades in. And John realized, when his tone in this letter, I think you'll see what I see, he doesn't pull any punches. It's a very black and white book. He's refuting some claims against Jesus and making some claims for Jesus. And, And as he's kind of explaining what it means to believe and follow Jesus, he's also giving us some really clear, black and white, tangible takeaways of how to live like Jesus. Well, implicit in living like Jesus means... Not living like the enemy, not yielding to sin, and in this part of the book, you're getting kind of a salty old man who has seen it all, who just calling it like he is. So imagine you're sitting with like a grandfather around a fireplace, and he's just telling you what you need to know, because he knows his time on earth is limited. He doesn't have time to sugarcoat anything. Here it is. Here's how the enemy works. In First John chapter two, verse 15. We see this, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, if you have a highlighter or a pencil, circle this sentence here, verse 16. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Right here, these three things the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That is the strategy that our enemy uses to mess with us, to make following Jesus difficult, to make following the world easy. I'd love to dig into some of the ancient things that were happening in the Middle East and in the Mediterranean area when. The Bible was being written, and this particular book was written in Greek, and when it says cosmos, the world, don't love the world, don't love the cosmos, or the things of the cosmos, it's kind of where we get our idea from like an operating matrix. John is basically saying there is a matrix, there's an infrastructure that is ingrained into you and I. And we have to learn how to separate ourselves from the world's operating matrix. There is a code that is just built into humanity ever since Adam and Eve took a bite of the forbidden fruit. There's something that we're going to deal with, and that is just sin. When you look around the room, none of us in here have got it figured out yet. Maybe some of us are further along than others. Maybe some of us aren't as far as we would like to be. But if you are a parent... With young kids, you realize how true this is, that there is a code built into us. You probably didn't teach your child to be disobedient. You probably didn't teach your child to lie or to cheat or to steal. You probably didn't teach your child that when they're caught in the act that they need to come up with some sort of a fib to cover their tracks, right? I've got a six-year-old and a four-year-old, and I remember Being so surprised at how naturally sin comes. And I realized, oh, this is what it means (laughs) when the Bible tells us, like that, by nature, we are fallen. And so, as Christians, we sometimes get on our high horse and can think that, you know, he with the most Bible verses wins, and our self righteousness can kind of shine a little bit brighter than. The fact that we really are all sinners in need of grace. Well, we sometimes forget that becoming a part of the family of God, we have to recognize our own tendency for self-destruction. That's the idea of repentance. We have to recognize our own proclivities. We have to recognize in becoming a Christ follower. That's the idea of repentance. We have to recognize that, man, I... I'm a sinner in need of a savior. We have to recognize that there is a code within us and we are just a little bit prone to rebellion. We are prone to the path of least resistance. We are prone to instant gratification. We are prone to this cosmos, this operating matrix, the ways of the world. And John boils it down to three categories. And I think when you really unpack these three categories, you can see that all of the things that we struggle with kind of find their starting point in one of these three buckets: the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. And here's the, the destructive cycle that comes from this operating matrix. It always overpromises and under-delivers. Anytime you've caught yourself in a pursuit that involves the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, when you finally reach that accomplishment, when you finally uh, are are pursuing something, you're climbing the ladder to success, whether it's in the area of lust, or, or it's in the area of materialism, or it's in the area of your reputation, like all of these things that get boiled down into the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. You get to the top of the ladder and you're disappointed, you're underwhelmed, you're not satisfied, and you realize that the waves of the world, it takes more than it gives and it never leaves me feeling fulfilled. That's why our life oftentimes feels like a blooper reel. Just think about what was cool 10 years ago and how uncool that is now. Even worse, like, I look back at some of the style choices I made as a teenager, and I'm like, oh, man, I hope my kids don't see the pictures of me and the way I used to do my hair. Like, style, coolness, accomplishment, it's a moving target, The ways of the world, man, they are ever-changing, but the ways of God are never-changing. And so we've gotta learn how to replace the operational code or else we're always gonna be living that blooper reel. We're always going to be underwhelmed and disappointed with the promises of the ways of the world. So let's break that apart just a little bit. The ways of the world, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life, A more modern way of saying that is sex, status, and stuff. The ways of the world are the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. The lust of the eyes, that's stuff. What you see, a materialistic, he with the most toys wins way of living. The lust of the flesh is kind of a pursuit of pleasure, sexuality, instant gratification. The lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, status, reputation, power, The belief that if I can get a promotion, if I can have a greater status, if I can have more followers, if I can have more influence, then somehow my life will have more meaning. That is the pride of life. The lust of the flesh is sometimes bigger than sexuality. It's the pursuit of pleasure, often to avoid the reality of pain. It could be anything that we choose to medicate And deal with what's not okay in our life other than Jesus. Things that feel good in the moment to escape things that feel bad in the moment. The lust of the eyes. It's the idea of, I didn't know I needed that until I saw my neighbor just upgraded his. I'm a grill master and I love... Cooking on my Kamado Joe grill, but there's these things called pellet grills that are becoming really popular now, where it still smokes meat, and there's some incredible barbecue that can come from a pellet grill, and it's pretty cool. I didn't really realize how much I wanted one until I saw how easy it was to press a button, and you could set it and forget it. Lust of the eyes. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how we, right when we find ourselves satisfied and content with what we've got and what we've accomplished, we see what somebody else has got. We see what somebody else has accomplished. We see what somebody else posts on Instagram about their family or their vac- vacation. And then we're like, man, I can't even live here anymore. That's the way the world works, man. It's ever changing. It's a moving target. And when we realize that that code is built into us, it's no wonder that our life can feel more like a blooper reel than a highlight reel. Now here's what's amazing about this little nugget that John gave us. He is exposing all that the devil and his minions are using to mess with you and I. You have been given the playbook of the enemy. That's significant. That means that we can now know how to form a battle plan. That means that we can know how to shut off the operational matrix of the ways of the world and hopefully install a new matrix of the ways of God. I don't know how many of y'all are Star Wars fans, but this, to me, reminds me a lot of what I think is one of the best Star Wars films, Rogue One. It is one of the Star Wars stories that kind of bridges the gap between the old Star Wars and the new Star Wars. That is kind of a, a great movie poster. I love the idea of Rogue One because with the original Star Wars, it started in episode four. They didn't start with episode one, so they started far into the Star Wars saga back in the 70s. It's Luke Skywalker. And Princess Leia and Ben Kenobi taking the plans for the Death Star and figuring out how to blow up the Death Star. Well, Rogue One is the movie where it explains how they got the plans for the Death Star and all the work that it took to, like, infiltrate the enemy, extract their plans, give it to the rebels so they could exploit their plans and ultimately find victory. Guys, that's what this message, that's what this Bible verse is supposed to accomplish in our life today. We're supposed to realize that we've got everything we need in Scripture. We've got everything we need in a relationship with Jesus. We've got everything we need with the accountability of a local church family to live victoriously. We've got everything we need in our relationship with Jesus, in our study of Scripture, in our relationship with our local church family to break this paradigm of the ways of the world. Now here's the thing, I don't think that you're ever going to be perfect or sinless on this side of eternity, but I do think we can learn how to, by the grace of God, sin a little less. But listen, that's not the goal. I don't want to just expose the ways of the world and the ways of the enemy and give us what we need to just constantly fight that. We need to replace that. We need to pursue something else. We need to download and install a new program. And that is the ways of God. It's the opposite of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. It's the opposite of sex, status, and stuff. It's the opposite of power, possessions, and pleasure. The ways of God are are holiness and honor and, and humility. Holiness is how we fight off the lust of the flesh, See, we live in a day and age that basically tells you as long as you are a nice person, if you feel it, you should be able to act on it. That is not a holy way of living. And I don't care what your particular brand of temptation is. Holiness means that I want to be more like Christ. Holiness means that I want to be set apart from the ways of the world and set apart to the things of God. Holiness means that I can't just act on my impulses. Holiness means that I've learned that I can't even trust my impulses. Chances are what comes instinctive to me is still lingering effects of the ways of the world, the code that is built within me. Holiness means I want to become more like Christ. And holiness means that in the heat of the moment, I'm going to make the decisions and seek out the accountability to not yield to the thing that feels right in the moment. That's how we fight off the lust of the flesh. How do we fight the lust of the eyes? What we see, possessions, comparison, envy, jealousy. Well, that's with humility. Humility means that we don't take ourselves too seriously. Humility means that I own my stuff, my stuff doesn't own me. Humility means that I am not what I wear, I am not what I drive, I am not what I live in. Humility means that I am unmoved by the cool things that my neighbor gets. Humility means that I can empathize and celebrate. Humility means that I can rejoice with those who are rejoicing. I can mourn with those who are mourning. It means that I can put others first. And in order to not succumb to the lust of the eyes, materialism, consumerism, impulsivity with seeing the new shiny object, that means I've got to have a certain degree of humility and generosity, and I've got to wrestle with, am I in charge of my possessions or are my possessions in charge of me? And if you... Feel like that's something that you yield to. If you're distracted by new shiny objects, if money is consuming for you, try generosity, try sacrifice, try being a blessing and realizing we are blessed to be a blessing. Replace jealousy with empathy. When something good happens to somebody else that you thought you deserved, find the courage to cheer them on and you will break the operational curse of the lust of the eyes. And then finally, the pride of life, status, power, honor is the new program that we download to fight the pride of life. See, the pride of life says I am what I do. The pride of life says the more successful I am in my career or my reputation or my accomplishments or my influence, the more successful I am, the more seriously I'll be taken. Basically, what it says is the more honor I receive, the better I will feel. But what I would say is the more I seek to honor others and celebrate others' accomplishments, the more I seek to take the spotlight off of me and shine the spotlight on others, it's funny how honor has a boomerang effect. Jesus even talked about this concept with one of his parables where he says if you're going to a banquet, or let's call it a birthday party, most people want to try to position themselves as close as they can to the place of honor, you know, and no one really wants to get stuck down at the end of the table where they feel like they're going to be on the outside looking in. Everyone kind of wants to get as close as they can to the middle of the table so they can be a part of the action. Man, that is such an overlay for social media. That's such an overlay for corporate America is get to the seat of prominence. Climb, climb, climb. Status, 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 power, 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 recognition, fame, influence. None of these things are bad things. But we view them as the end game. And Jesus is saying, if you view me as the end game, if you view being successful in my kingdom, if you view being generous, if you view humility, if you view honor As the end game, just watch, and I'll kind of boomerang all that stuff back to you. Like Patrick said a few minutes ago, we reap what we sow. And it's funny that when you finally let go of needing to be in the spotlight, when you finally let go of needing all the attention and all the accolades and all the affirmation, life has a funny way of kind of shining the spotlight on you. Because now all of a sudden you're a person who people love to celebrate because the way you celebrate them, the way that you're not intimidated by them. Now all of a sudden, when you're seeking to honor others and recognize others and be somebody who helps other people accomplish their goals, that's a way of life that God himself wants to honor. That's a way of life that God himself wants to elevate. That's a way of life that God knows because you're not in it for the influence, because you're not in it for the fame. He can now trust you with influence. He can now trust you with authority. He can now trust you with notoriety because you're gonna use that influence or that platform or that success to spread his kingdom, not your own. But it takes us taking a step back and recognizing that there is a huge battle waging within us. The fact that we are sinners saved by grace means that there's always going to be pieces or fragments of the ways of the world that are in us. I heard one pastor categorize it like this. There's two things at play when we find ourselves screwing up. It could be the enemy. And, and, And personally, I think in church world too often, We give the enemy way too much credit. The devil made me do it. Well, did he though? Sometimes, I think this pastor said it like this, sometimes it's not the enemy, it's the inner me. Because the ways of the world are in us. And guess what? Satan and all of his devils, he's not omniscient like God. He's not all-knowing like God. He's not omnipotent like God. He's not all-powerful. He's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere at one time like God is. God is the only being that has all three of those powers. And so for us to blame every bad thing on the enemy is actually ascribing to him more power and more credit than he actually deserves. Yes, there is a spiritual adversary. Yes, there is spiritual warfare. But oftentimes, the warfare is not between an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other. A lot of times the battles we're facing are just my own desires. And being honest about the fact that the ways of the world, they're in me. And I need Jesus and His love and His Spirit to come and transform me so that I can recalibrate. And guess what? This isn't just, you know, a prayer that you pray and all of a sudden the ways of the world disappear. My most significant mistakes in life have been as a Christ follower. This is something we're going to struggle with until the day that we stand before Jesus in heaven with a new body, with a new heaven, a new earth. But until then, there's going to be this struggle. The ways of the world being found successful in the eyes of man or the ways of God and being found successful in the ways of the kingdom. In Galatians chapter one, he kind of summarizes it like this. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I could not be a servant of Christ. Ways of the world are the ways of God. My hope is that we allow scripture To kind of open up our hearts and our minds to the fact that we still got work to do. And God isn't looking at the areas of your life that are worldly with anger and frustration and disappointment, He looks at those areas of opportunity for His Spirit to come in and, and give you a sense of transformation. He wants better for you than the ways of the world. He wants better for you than to constantly be seeking the approval of your boss. He wants better for you than to simply be laying up money away and building up treasures on earth. Again, nothing wrong with those things. But what if those things were the byproduct of a life focused on following Jesus more fully? There's nothing wrong with Pursuits of success. There's nothing wrong with pursuits that would hopefully get us a promotion or work. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. This was when those things kind of become our navigational beacons. When those things become our definitions of success and meaning, that's when we realize that we are operating in the world's matrix. And hopefully in those moments where we compare our lives against what we see in Scripture... Our hearts could then be softened, not because of guilt and shame. There's a difference between guilt and conviction. Guilt makes you think that I'm a scroop and God doesn't want me. That's not the God of the Bible. Conviction says, hey, are you done trying things your own way? Are you ready for something better? Are you ready for something that will not disappoint? Are you ready for something that won't overpromise and undeliver? An abundant life is the life that Jesus promises us. And the surprising path to that success is surrender. is repentance. is recognition of my own shortcomings and the own deficiencies of the ways of the world that I've been operating within. So today, as a church family, as individuals, as moms, as dads, as Christ followers, as friends. I would ask you to go on a journey with me as we wrap up our time today in prayer. We would ask God to show you that your eyes of our hearts would be opened to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. How we could replace that with honor, with humility, with holiness that we'd walk out of here with a new operating system, a system update. I don't know about you, I'm in need of that almost daily. That's what happens when I open God's word and allow it to start changing me and rewriting me and, and, and putting in a new code. Then what happens on the other side of that is a life that Jesus himself takes responsibility for. Pastor Charles Stanley says God takes full responsibility for the life that is fully surrendered. I would much rather my life and my goals, my aspirations and my dreams to be in his hands than mine. So for these next few minutes, before we dismiss and continue with the Father's Day celebrations, I'm going to ask that we would just bow our heads, close our eyes, and just tune things out and just allow the Holy Spirit to start speaking to us, to identify some things that need to change. In my heart for you, as you're doing some soul work, and some, some soul searching over these last couple of seconds, as you'd realize that things don't need to change so that God will love you more. These things don't need to change so that you'll have more of God's favor in your life. These things need to change because that's the right response to how much God loves us. It's not for his love, it's because of his love that we are given the opportunity to rewrite the system, to say no to the ways of the world and yes to the ways and the will of our Father in heaven. So, Jesus, I would ask for courage, for bravery to confront some things in our life that aren't okay. And Lord, whether we need to seek out accountability or a meeting with a pastor or start in a new Bible study or a little, there's a, any number of right next steps for us, just give us the courage to do it. Give us the courage to ask for help. And I pray, Lord, that this church family will be a church family who truly motivates and encourages one another to say no to the world more often and yes to you more often. Help us to rewrite the code. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.